Hello, friends, and welcome to the Perfect Strangers Podcast. I am your host, Furby Montano, and as always, I want to thank you for listening today. Before we hop into today's episode, I do want to mention that this episode is being brought to you by Casper. Casper is dedicated to luxurious and comfortable mattresses without the excessive cost and hassle. Aside from mattresses, their products also include pillows, sheets, even bed frames, and all of them are made with premium foam and breathable cool materials that can maximize your comfort during sleep. Look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I sleep on a Casper mattress every single night and I've never slept better. When I was in my early 20s, I could sleep on a cardboard box if you gave it to me and wake up feeling fine. Now that I'm 33, not so much. And I can tell you once my fiance and I bought our Casper mattress, we never looked back. And the best part of it is we didn't have to take out a second mortgage just to buy a good quality comfortable bed that we've had for years now. And right now, if you use the code BESTSLUMBER at checkout, they're going to give you $200 off your first Casper mattress purchase. Casper. All right, so today on the show, we have the wonderfully talented, insanely entertaining Hannah Burnett. Now, Hannah is an entertainer based out of Boston. Now, the way that I met Hannah was I saw her doing voiceover videos on TikTok, and I just thought she was so immensely talented. She's so good at it. And you just have to check her out and then also listen to her story because she is also an actress. She's an entertainer. um, And just kind of her experience being in that industry, uh, especially right now coming out of COVID and, um, you know, you know, just kind of getting back to normal, if you will. Um, I'm not going to waste any more time. She's an awesome person to listen to. She was awesome to talk to. Uh, I hope I can have her on again. Ladies and gentlemen, Hannah Burnett. And thank you again for listening. All right, and we are recording. Hello, Hi. hello. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to, and it's fun <laughs> to uh, actually get to talk in real time with you as opposed to commenting on one another's videos. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, it's nice to that's that's been the coolest part about this whole thing is talking with people and actually getting to know them as people. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of nice. <laughs> so how how are you? How's uh, how's Boston and and everything right now? Boston's good. Um, the fall is usually a transitional period for me because my primary gig is in tourism and that does not happen. I mean, tourism does happen in Boston, but my gigs don't happen from really Thanksgiving to April. Okay. Give or take. Uh, so I am on my off season right now, though I did recently get connected with a party princess group and I've been doing a lot of party appearances and other appearances as various princesses that's kind of cool how'd you how'd you land that gig luck um I mean I've been trying to find a group like that for a while uh because you know what actress is especially one who grew up in the 90s, doesn't want to be a Disney princess in some way, shape, or form. I I definitely auditioned for um, Disney Cruise Lines a couple of times. Uh, Never got past the first round, but, you know, uh, I took most of my 20s to gain my confidence that I definitely could have used at 18 when I was young enough to actually be cast in those roles, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there. Um, But I had been in a play and my choreographer's friend 
was looking for somebody to fill in as a sort of a mascot character, an original character for Boston Seaport District for some advertising. Uh, and so she pulled me in for that. Um, the, the friend was like, we need somebody. And I said, I'm available. And when I found out it was the same woman that did the local princess party, I said, hi, um, by the way, I <laughs> wanted to do that. And if you don't notice, I kind of look just like Anna. And so she put me on a roster and I didn't get to do much for the better part of the earlier part of the year. But then as soon as my tour schedule was done, I was like, Hey boss, you know, my tours are done for the season. If you need me, suddenly I'm doing three parties a weekend. That's awesome. So and yeah, it's did, great. So is it like actually affiliated with Disney or is it kind oh, of? No. Okay. Okay. No. Um, officially these are not Disney characters. They Fair just enough. bear a striking resemblance to them. Funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's usually for the parties, I will show up. There's usually photo ops because the kids are all excited. And I'll read a story. I might do some face painting. Sometimes we bring a craft if the family has, you know, purchased that in as part of their thing, we'll supply a craft for them. And I can leave that. Um, I might put on some music and sing along, depending on who I'm portraying. And usually we close out by singing happy birthday. And then my, <clears throat> uh, you know, fairy godmother sends the carriage to whisk me back to wherever I'm from um, <laughs> and all of that. And so, do, you have, do you have like one specific character that you do or do you do several? No, um, Elsa's the most popular. So I do a lot of Elsa. Um, I've actually done a few Belle port parties, uh, in fact. So she's, for a princess that's one of the, you know, not current, not new ones. She's actually very popular. Um, but Frozen's obviously the big one. So oh, yeah. Anna and Elsa a lot. Um, I did Cinderella, but I don't love doing Cinderella because the wig is really small and I'm worried uh, it's going to fall off the whole time. So I kind of want to make my own Cinderella wig. <laughs> that's <laughs> so gotta be wild. that's gotta suck having that kind of anxiety and being around kids like, oh no, I'm gonna fuck it up. I'm gonna fuck it up. Yeah, oh my gosh, constantly. Yeah, the imposter syndrome. Um just that, you know, I'm I'm constantly worried that I'm gonna like do something that Usually I'm more for the little, little kids. I'm more worried. The parents are going to judge me for being not very good and be disappointed <laughs> at the money that they spent. Hasn't happened yet. The parents have all been absolutely lovely and very enthusiastic. Um, for the kids, the ideal age for these parties is three and four years old. Okay. Younger than that. They don't quite really understand what's going on. They don't have the attention span and they might even fall asleep within the hour because <laughs> um, they're just so overstimulated. And I, I've had, you know, I had a one-year-old party where 10 minutes in, like the, the kid obviously has no idea what's going on, but I'm posing with her and the friends and everything. And suddenly the mom's like, we're going to go put her down for a nap. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and entertained the other, you know, the, the cousins who were there. That's cool. Um, but then... Five, especially six years old, those kids are starting to question and they're not willfully suspending their disbelief. Older kids, like when you have the 12-year-old cousin that's there at the four-year-old's birthday party, they're playing along completely because they want to have the fun experience and especially not ruin it for the little kids. Sure. But the six-year-olds are like... 
I don't think you're really Elsa. I think that's a wig and like start trying to climb all over me. So the five and six year old, they're not young enough to fully suspend their disbelief, but they're not old or they're not young enough to fully believe it, but they're not old enough to play along. Okay. Um, so those are the most challenging parties are the, the one because the five-year-olds always have a six-year-old friend and cause that's, that's the age when that starts falling apart. Um, <laughs> and I haven't really done a party for anyone older than that. There are events I've done. One of the things I'm really proud that they are using us for that they um, hired us for was there's a vaccine clinic going on right now since yeah. the vaccine, the COVID vaccine was, uh, proof for the younger kids so there's a clinic specifically for kids age 5 to 12 and um or 5 to 11 and they had to come in just sort of be a presence there because they always have to wait for 15 minutes after the shot and maybe just having something fun and distracting is going to help them that's an awesome Um, idea yeah and so i've done three out of five i think so i have two more uh the next two mondays and I just hang out with the nurses that are running clinic and when kids come in, I just sort of interact with them. I had one little girl that came in this week or this past week, um, who, uh, you know, she, I, at least every day we have at least one kid who really doesn't handle it well. And they're very scared. And unfortunately they, you know, they scream and we all just, our hearts break because, you know, there, there's nothing we can do or say to explain to them that it's not, you know, if, if they tense up, it'll hurt more and, and all that. Um, so you know, that was totally me as a kid. I was, yeah. I was the one that like, you put a needle in me and I'm like, no. Mom! Yeah. That was me. And so one of those kids we had, the one we had that was on Monday, this past Monday, uh, once she calmed down, and to try to help her further calm down. And I was like, do you want to read a book? And I brought out my <laughs> frozen storybook and I read two stories out of it with her. That's cool. Um, so that was just, the other really cool thing though, is especially the first two weeks, I remember we kept seeing sibling pairs come in and the older siblings were amazing. And they were <clears throat> just like being really, really cool encouraging the younger siblings and calming them down, um, and helping out. And I really, really appreciated that. That's cool. That's, that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, so how do you, cause, so I, I thought you just did a lot of voice work for the most part. Um, I didn't realize that you did more like a ton of acting and, and appearances and stuff. So I, yes, I am a career performer. That's awesome. Uh, the voice acting is actually, I don't know if I should say it's a relatively new thing. It's just, it's a relatively struggle thing, I guess. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I have been in one way, shape or form working toward work in voiceover since at least college. Okay. And early on, that was just a lot of being really anxious about screwing it up. So not doing much okay. and learning a lot. Uh, I for a fairly substantial period was running the special guests department at a convention in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I met a lot of voice actors for video games and anime through that um, and other cartoons eventually. And that was an amazing experience. And that was sort of 
partially because I wanted to learn from these people and make these connections. And I, fortunately, I'm actually still connected with a few of them, though not in any way that will really help. Um, Because I'm not going to, there's any of my friends who are these voice actors I've met, I can't just say, hey, can you get me work? Um, It doesn't work like that. But if I were ever to get any headway in the industry, that is somebody that can speak on my behalf if my name comes up. Um, And so I stalled for the better part of 10 years until I finally made my demo. Okay. And then I got lucky and I got the one audiobook gig. And that was also around the same time that uh, Brittany was doing the Saturday morning TV auditions for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I did that audition. Nothing came of it, but um, it was a great learning experience. And I, uh, when she was briefly doing coaching, I had, I learned a lot working with her on that. Um, But unfortunately there's just this whole business side that when you get a theater degree, when you get an acting degree, especially if it's a degree at a liberal arts program and not um, a bachelor of arts, nobody tells you get business classes. Yeah. Nobody Uh, tells you when you're in college studying for performance. I mean, maybe they do now. And, um, but when I was in college, nobody said, if you really want to be serious about this, you also need to study business. And I'd say that's one thing I would have been over, especially since I did go to liberal arts school. If I could go back and convince my younger self to minor in business, mm-hmm. because the networking of it, you know, I put myself out there as much as I can, but the networking element and just how to find auditions. And the other problem being with COVID, everyone thought, oh, I can speak regardless of what training they have. They're like, I can speak. I should go into voice acting. Let me buy. I have the money to buy a $500 microphone. I'm going to audition for voice acting. Oh, no, it's a totally different animal than just talking into a microphone. So now the market is completely saturated. And whether these people are lucky to have natural talent and they're going to get hired just and learn on the job or they don't and they're just going to be one more person that the directors listen to. Um, so there's just a lot of noise to cut through. So when my tour job started back up again, I kind of focused more on that. And I actually got a second tour gig as well. And so what, doing, what are you, what are you doing the tour gigs? I'm not, I'm, I'm not familiar so, with, with what you're doing. Them. So, um, I, my primary gig, I work for a company called Boston duck tours. Okay. And they are sightseeing tours of Boston on amphibious vehicles, affectionately known as ducks. Uh, And that is because they are based on, um, and originally when the company was founded were, World War II era amphibious vehicles called DUKWs. Okay. And they were created for World War II. Uh, 1942, I believe, is when they were created. And uh, in 1946, as soon as the war was over, this guy from Wisconsin acquires one from a military surplus auction and starts giving tours in Wisconsin. And this, you know, little-known industry starts up. And eventually, this guy from Boston, um, Andy Wilson, 
He was tired of the corporate world, so he went on a road trip to find himself and found ducks and <laughs> decided to bring them to Boston and started this company. Um, so and cool. so, yeah. So eventually the vehicles got really old and they started phasing them out and phasing in replicas that are based on the chassis. I think they use the chassis from the 70s era DUKW. So there are parts of them that were built by the military or by GM at least for the military. Um, but they've been totally gutted and redone to function for, as tourist vehicles. That's and super cool. So I've been with them for six years now. And are you like, are you like a tour guide or what do you, what do you do for them? Um, so I do basically every tour related thing. Um, I most of the time sit on board and narrate and tell people about the sites of Boston Cool. And all the little stories that go along with that. Um, and then on some days I will drive with my commercial driver's license. And that's really nice because if I'm starting, if I get sick, if I lose my voice, I can just say, Hey, I really can't narrate today, but if you need a driver, that's I'd cool. love to continue to get hours. Um, and so that's nice. And then in both cases, Unless my coworker that's on my team that day outranks me, um, then I also am the captain of the ship as well, ship boat as well. <laughs> uh, I do hold a hundred ton um, near uh, hundred ton near coastal merchant mariner's license. Holy shit! Potential, you're like you like you're like legit. Like you got a lot of yes. stuff. You got a CDL. It, you're it sounds, you captain it sounds, of a ship. The captain's license sounds more intense than it really is. <laughs> um, basically once you've had your captain's license for five years, they will usually default upgrade and you have to pay, pay the upgrade fee, but they have no problem upgrading you. So, um, if I wanted to, I could probably get hired to do a small ferry. I would need to learn a lot, be trained a lot on the specific vessel, but, um, you know, most my, my actual job for as far as being a captain is I drive into the Charles River on an amphibious vehicle and I'm never far from shore. We go under the Longfellow Bridge and then we turn around and go back. That's that's still so cool, though. Like, I, I've never known anyone who's done stuff like that. That's that's super cool. I have a lot of weird jobs and I'm I love it. No, I'm also a hospital clown. That's you so know, cool. Like, that's what I love though. Like I, I could tell you were like, you did more. I didn't, I, I knew the voice acting stuff, obviously yeah. from TikTok, but yeah, it's cool hearing that. Cause I love hearing like what people do outside of here. Like I had a guy on here who does like air fryer videos and it turns out he's a professional wrestler. Like what? So the cool <laughs> thing is, yeah, I feel like that's a really common thing among my duck tours coworkers mm -hmm. because, um, we have guys who, you know, yeah, they come in and they tell an entertaining and engaging tour. And then this, you know, one of my, my favorite coworkers, um, he goes by Professor Quackenstein. We're all, we all have character <laughs> names. And so Dan or Professor Quackenstein, uh, he is a juggler and he mm -hmm. has like full, he has a full juggling act. He has a juggling partner that does full juggling act, but they have a couple different shows. Um, one of them is with the Museum of Science where it's like teaching about molecules and stuff and then they have the more you know other stuff but he also sings in a band and he does comedy stand-up and just for fun in his spare time he just built a shed with very <laughs> little 
like actual experience and training on that. She was like, I'm going to do this thing. Last year he was paving his, um, he was making, he was making pavers to pave his, to like put brick paving in his yard or something like that. And he juggled flaming lawn chairs on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Holy shit. Like he is one of the more interesting people I work with, but that is the kind of thing I find out about my coworkers. We are the Island of Misfit Toys. Um, you know, we've got a guy who was a former hairstylist who, you know, I go to him in my spare time to get my hair done. Um, we've got a former French professor is one of the best friends there. Um, he's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot of people who do come from an acting background, though there are a handful of us. We've got one guy who's done like movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I got lucky enough to be in a commercial because of all that. Oh, yeah. What was it for? It was for Shields MRI, a local medical company. And oh, okay. Was that they, the one that the, the number one? It. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I've seen I posted it on TikTok. I like that one. And yeah. And so they wanted, they usually do for like a couple of years, they ran spots with Brady. And uh they decided this was before he was traded. They decided they wanted to do another spot that was okay we've done players now let's do fans and so they hired they wanted to hire um a duck a woman who drove the ducks in the parades mm-hmm. whether or not it actually was someone who did that job they needed the duck and they needed at least a comedian to sit in the seat and pretend they drove but ideally someone who actually drove them and then they wanted one of the guys who stands in the end zone that fires the muskets whenever they score and so that repetitive motion injury for the end zone guy was that he keeps firing his musket and he's getting a repetitive motion injury. <laughs> um, but it's great. Cause you know, cause they keep winning. And sure. then my thing was then, you know, the number one finger, I keep driving my, my duck and all in so many parades that my finger is getting injured. Cause I keep <laughs> celebrating and it's the silliest thing. One of my coworkers saw the spot and he's like, when I first saw it, I was like, Oh no, I, I, I think Hannah, I didn't, Hannah never told me she was injured. She never told me she was like, he totally believed it. He's like, oh, wait, no, that's just the shtick of the commercial. Um, but when I first saw it, I was like, is this like a like a commercial for like a medicine? What's going on here? And then you were like, I have a bad case of number one-itis or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, I got you. That's yeah, funny. exactly. <laughs> um, and so I went in for the audition and I really want to do more more commercials and more film now. Because I always shied away from it in the past. And this experience taught me, it's like, oh, wait, film actually is an interesting medium. Because I'm a theater actor sure. by experience, by trade. And um, I came in and knowing that none of the other women in the company that drive have an acting background. And they wanted a woman. And knowing that ideally they want someone who does actually drive the duck. I realized just by pure luck, I was literally the only choice for this role. (laughs) And the fact that that melted all. Oh no, I'm losing you. Oh, okay. Uh, You're back. You're back. Sorry. Am I on the correct Wi-Fi? I'm on the correct Wi-Fi. I don't know. Sorry. No, no, no problem. Um, but uh, essentially, so that men- melted all the imposter syndrome away, and I didn't 
And so I was able to go in for this audition and actually show what I could do without being self-conscious of, oh, what if they don't like me? What if I'm not good enough? And that means that now whenever I go into my next commercial audition, I have some experience. I know what it's like to be on a and I probably will get in my head because it will never be the perfect storm of conditions for me to get hired again, but I will at least have the confidence that I've done something like this before. No, and I'm sure you will too. It's, it was, you were really good in it. Number one, Thank you. very, very convincing. I, I thought there was genuinely something wrong at first. Yeah, <laughs> My coworker did too. <laughs> um, I was like, Oh no, Hannah, what's wrong? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that part actually took the longest to film. I did so many takes of that part because as a theater actor, and this actually goes hand in hand with being a voice actor, you emote a lot more and you're a lot bigger and a lot more, you know, you're, you, you emote a lot more. Sure. Um, and commercials and film is very subtle and it's very personal. And like, I thought I was giving a totally boring monotone read and my director's like no 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 less pull it back even more pull it back even more and I'm like are you really like how (laughs) I'm just this animated naturally well how does it work so you have a background in theater Mm -hmm. when you have to do something for like tv and you do have to kind of I kind of equate it like I'm a musician. So there's there's yeah. a difference between playing live and playing in the studio. You have to have kind of two, two completely different mindsets. Mm-hmm. How, how do you separate that? Like doing one for, the, one for the stage, one for the camera. How do you do that as an actor? There's obviously as an actor, there is a lot that transfers over from one to the other, but really it's just experience. And especially if you're not experienced in one, having a really good director that can help you because I don't know how my performance is going to translate to the audience and whatever medium they're going to receive it. And so having a good director to give me that feedback of, okay, I see what you did. And I know because this is what you're more used to, that's what you're doing. Trust me, this is what you need to do. So the trying to stay in the moment and in real time, live through those emotions, that's not really going to change. It's just when you're doing theater, you're much more animated about it. And when it's film, it's all happening in a much smaller space. So I guess, I guess the answer to your question is that really, well, a big part of it is having a director that you trust. Okay. And listening to them. Again, I've literally only done one outside of background work. I've not done a lot of either. I've only done one film project. Um, and so that's the only experience I've gauged on. But the reason I was able to pull that off was I had a very, very good director who held my hand through that and trusted me that I could do it. And I trusted him that he would give me the feedback that was necessary to get me to that performance that we ended up with actually that he finally chose. Um, but it took a long time to get there. (laughs) Was, was it like nerve wracking doing that for the first time or 
Were you oh, definitely. Yep. Um, the, so we actually filmed the latter half of the commercial on the duck in the quote unquote parade first. Mm-hmm. And that was not all much more because there's part of it where I'm actually driving part of it was some, you know, standing still, uh, just, you know, to get the shot in, but that was a lot easier because it was a parade setting. They needed me to be big and animated that fit that scene. And so I didn't need that much direction. It was, and you know, this is what you, well, this is what you need to do. And some of it was literally just, you know, footage of me driving. Oop. Am I losing? Are nope. you losing me again? No, nope, I got you. Connections unstable. Um, but uh, so the first part that I filmed, which is the latter half of the commercial, was easy, and then the second half was a little bit anxiety ridden because it was just like, "What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing." He wants something different, but I trusted it, and it was just like, you know, we're gonna get through this. Um, that said, this was also 2018, no, 2019. Was it 2019 when we did this? I think it was 2019 when we did this. So it was a while ago now, to be fair. That was, uh, um, that was right after the Pats won the Super Bowl, I think, right? One of, one the, of the times. times. One um, of the many times, yeah. I'm a Bucks fan, so like I'm yeah. so happy to have Tom Brady here in Florida. You know, I have no idea, but. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, no, it, it was 2019. <laughs> um, it was right before uh, we actually filmed right before they won. Um, okay, gotcha. Because no, I'm sorry. No, they did win in 2019. 2019. You're right. It's hard to keep track because we've had <laughs> 12 championships in the last 20 years. <laughs> Boston, Boston sports is insane. Like, yeah. Pat, maybe not so much like right now, right now, but like between the Celtics, Patriots, Bruins, holy shit, Red Sox. Since Boston Duck Tours has been in existence, so since the 90s, and technically since 2002, we have had 12 championships. Holy shit. Um, so the, the Ducks have done a parade ever since. Um, that's the big, the reason why Boston Duck Tours is as well known as they are is because we do the victory parades. Sure. Important context, I suppose I should have mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, that was the whole point of the commercial is the Boston Duck Tours drives the parades every time they win. And so we've done six parades for the Patriots, four for the Red Sox, and one each for the Bruins and the Celtics. But that said, I can't remember a time when any of those teams didn't go to the playoffs. They don't always win, but I cannot remember a time when those did not go to the playoffs. So are you are you a sports fan? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. No. <laughs> um, I care insofar as it'd be really cool to drive another parade. I did the yeah, Sox parade in 2018. Um, I'm not all that into the, doing the Patriots parades because they no longer put the players on the ducks. Oh, really? Because they are animals. <laughs> because enough. we cannot afford for someone like Gronkowski to literally hop out of the duck, which the windowsill on these things is... Well, it's taller than me and I'm five, five. So like the windowsill is something like six feet off the ground and he's cl- jumping out of that to the ground. Oh my God. Yeah. We're not going to be able to stop them from doing that. We're just not going to have them on the duck. So his last parade, he was on a flat truck 
with two big burly guys behind him, security guards who were not there for the sake of keeping him safe from other people. They were there to keep him safe from himself. Oh my God. Did, did you uh, see the, the Tampa one that they did on boats through? I didn't, but I can imagine. Cause oh, yeah, I, well, they were know. all, they were all on boats. Brady was like pissed drunk. He was so drunk. I know he never did that in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> well, he got he the Lombardi trophy. The and he yeah, threw the Lombardi trophy from one to yeah, and he threw yeah. the, the trophy from one boat to the that. other. Like I heard about what that. What are you doing, dude? Yeah, and I was so shocked because he was always the player that really held it together in Boston, <laughs> and we always could have him on one of the ducks because he wasn't wasn't a problem. Um, but it was like you know, Bonk jumping out of the duck, Edelman climbing on top of the canopy. We have an amazing photo, but oh my gosh, how dangerous! <laughs> And meanwhile, these guys are like, yeah, screw my $80 million contract. I'm just going to do this here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then the other thing is you've got the fans. Sure. And when I, when I did the Sox parade, the fans are just tossing beer cans and nips. It was hilarious cleaning off the duck after the parade because they're, they're structured so that we can put, pull half of the canopy off. Mm-hmm. And so the back is open. And people with really bad aim are throwing beer cans and nips to are, the people on the in the parade that are what, on the ducks. What what are what are nips? I'm not familiar with those. Like a little like in miniature, like the smallest size of liquor that you can oh, find. Okay. I, I don't know what else they're called. Oh, I we just call them miniatures where I'm from. Miniatures. But, yeah, here yeah, in Boston, here in New England, we call them nips. I don't know why. Um, but they're they're throwing miniatures and beer cans and don't have really good aim. So a lot of them ended up on the canopy. Some of them ended up in the hands of players and other people <laughs> who were in the parade route. One of them damaged one of the trophies. I think oh, the no. actual trophy and not one of the copies. Oh no. Um, and a coworker of mine saw one fly over the duck in front of her and onto the head of a police officer that was escorting the parade. Um, <laughs> So it's funny. Just, people get very ballsy when it comes to like sports parades. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, Boston. Um, I mean, I lived in LA when, when the Lakers beat the Celtics oh, in the title uh, game seven, I was in downtown LA with my cousin. We were drinking, whatever we go to leave right when the game ended mm. and it was a full fledged riot in downtown LA. Like there was literally a car on fire. I thought that, shit was made up no there was a car on fire like down the road i okay i need to go right now i i I hear that the same kind of stuff happened when the red sox broke the curse and there were cars being flipped and stuff oh my god um the curse being that they didn't win the world series for 86 years after they traded babe ruth and when they finally won in 2004 there were cars being flipped that sounds about right yeah 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 (laughs) Um. Yeah. Oh, Boston. So, are are you from Boston originally? No, I'm from Southeastern Connecticut. So, okay, I'm cool. from New England. But uh, I I've only been in the Boston area for I've been duck tours for six years. So, eight years, eight oh, and a half cool. years. Have, have you lived there? Did you move anywhere else, or did you just go straight from Connecticut to Boston? Um, I was born in Rhode Island, grew up in Connecticut, and. I ended up doing high school at boarding school 
because I was horribly bullied and thought if I get away from it all, maybe I'll actually have a good high school experience. And then I was bullied in high school because uh, I was just that kid that was an easy mark. Uh, and then, so I did four years in high school, which actually was in my mom's hometown, hometown uh, near my grandparents. And then I went to college 15 minutes from my home back in Southeast Connecticut. And I was in Connecticut, you know, I, I, I moved out, um, to live with a boyfriend, what a year after college, I think year or two after college. And when he dumped me, I ended up, uh, finding work in Boston. And so I, lived with friends in Wellesley for a, a summer. I found an apartment in Somerville and most of my time was in Somerville. Um, and now I'm up on the North shore, but, uh, I'm really happy that I came here. Uh, on the other hand, like I do sort of wonder what would life have been if I'd had the courage to go to Los Angeles and actually break into voice acting and stuff like that. But uh, there, I think there is a market growing in Boston if I can just find my way into it. I, so does it make it easier with voice act voice acting um, like nowadays where you can do stuff from home and have a home studio? Does it that make it any easier? Or? It depends on what kind of voice acting you want to get into commercials. Certainly audiobooks, Definitely. The only caveat to that being is a lot of the, especially independently published audiobook or independently published books and stuff like that, you can find the work to do those audiobooks, but you're also probably doing unpaid editing work wow. um, to like, they are probably hiring you to voice it and process the files, but you're only getting paid for the voice work. That's shitty. And that is something that I don't, really have the experience for and don't trust my abilities for the the technical side of things nor do I really want to do that kind of unpaid labor um so especially since I have other performing gigs that are making me money it's kind of hard for me to justify diving into that though I know that I could make living or not make living but I could jump into the industry that way and get a little bit more recognition but I don't have the confidence in my abilities to do the sound editing. Um, so there's that. But what I would love to do is more of the cartoons and video games side of things. And there are video games being produced in Boston. I just need to find my way in. Uh, but there's also, you know, in the cartoon world, there is this bias for having everybody in the room together if possible. And you really have to be a known quantity for them to want you bad enough to sort of Skype you in for lack of a better word um, to do it remote work. So they really do want you in person for cartoons. And there's, it's hard to get into that unless you're in California. Enough. There are there are other pockets that do it. You know, New York does a little bit, but most of that work is in LA. Fair enough. But yeah, I could I could see why too because I imagine they want oh, the totally. industry. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that makes sense. No, and it makes it makes all the sense in the world to me too. It's just unfortunate that 
I live on the East Coast and I'm, you know, getting pretty settled here. Sure. My husband and I bought a condo last year, so it's not like we're leaving anytime soon. And while we haven't taken California off the table, so to speak, it's not something outside of the opportunities for me in terms of the work that I want to do. It's not something that really entices us. Fair enough. You know, it, we're very much East Coast people. Um, I New England is very much my home. Uh, and also my main source of income right now is Boston tourism. Right. And so uh, that would be a very scary thing for me to do to just put all my eggs in one basket and try to see if I can break into voice acting. There would be, it, it's not to say that it can't happen and it won't happen, but I would love to see if I can get a little bit more traction from the East coast first before I try to test that out in California. So it's kind of, I, I won't say it's fallen to the wayside, but seasonally speaking, I'm putting less effort into it. Um, so we're actually getting into the time of year where I need to focus on it more now that my tour stuff's done. Okay. And do you, um, do you still do like stage acting and plays and that mm-hmm. type of stuff? Cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily always do professional stage work. Um, I, based on my personal interest, there's a lot of actors who, once they start taking paid work, they really turn their nose up at doing community theater because they say, Oh, you're devaluing yourself. And it's like, if I'm doing it on my terms and I'm not just caving to any time someone's like, can you do my show? If I'm doing it because I want to do it to keep my abilities up, also to enjoy time with my friends or fellow actors that happen yeah. to be in the theater scene. So um, I do some community, I, I, oh, community theater, but like, it's not, don't make that sound like it's totally, you know, low quality. We actually have some really, really good quality community theaters when you look for them. Mm-hmm. And so I actually have a gig this weekend. Um, part of our oh. scheduling woes for this oh, was cool. rehearsals. And it's a one-act festival, this group called Quantapout Players in Reading, Massachusetts. Every holiday season, every December, this is now the 10th year, they do a fundraiser event where they take original plays that are short plays, you know, eight to 20 minutes. And they're written by locals and they're all themed about the holidays and generally set either in a nondescript place or if there's any mention of locality that's actually local to the like the North Shore Boston area. Yeah. And so there's six plays and I'm uh in this one about Thanksgiving. And uh it's uh, apparently the play was written for a 24-hour play festival. And when the the 24-hour play festival that it was written for, they all had to work in the prop of an inflatable plastic whale and they had to put as many whale puns in the show as possible. (laughs) And so the script that was created for this festival for that, for the 24 hour play that thing that we're now reusing for this, uh, was three kids who lived together, you know, adult or three, three, three adult siblings who lived together 
are hosting their father for Thanksgiving some number of years after their mother has died and home an inflatable plastic whale that is his fiance. Okay. And it's a comedy and it's <laughs> them trying to process through like, is dad okay? And how are we going to handle this? And the ultimate decision is, you know, well, he's not hurting anyone and whatever's going on is not going to get worse. And we don't see him very much anymore. It's Thanksgiving. That's all about family. Let's just go with it for now and have a good Thanksgiving meal. And it's really cute. And the, it sounds like my kind of play. I want to see that really bad. Now. It's so fun. <laughs> um, okay. Well, you know, get, get a flight up to Boston in the next two weeks. And you can come see it. <laughs> Hey, you never know. I might do that. You never um, know. <laughs> but uh, so that's that's one of six plays that's being presented for this festival. Uh, and cool. we open tomorrow night. So it's really nice because obviously during the lockdown period of COVID, I didn't get to do any theater. And I even had to, uh, we had a show I was supposed to put up in March of 2020 that we canceled we didn't know it was canceled at the time. We paused a week shy of opening. Uh, you know, we, that Thursday, we had a meeting of, okay, this COVID thing's happening. We don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of days and weeks. We think the governor is going to close the state down and we don't want to load in for tech week if we're not going to be able to perform. Because we can't, we we don't want to, we can't afford to pay that rent on the theater if we don't actually get to perform the show. Um, so we had this meeting, and I already that by that point, based on the news, I was thinking, you know, well, community theater audiences are usually older people who are more vulnerable, wow. even if they're interested in coming. Is it even safe? You know, are we going to turn into a super spreader event? Not that I think we even had the term super spreader event yet, but so I was, I had, I was uh, carpooling with a friend to rehearsal and I was talking with him. I'm like, I, I, we need to talk to Lance, the the director. I was like, I don't think we can, I think we need to hold off on the performance and like do another time. I'm very nervous. And I get there and it was very, very obvious, you know, Lance was sitting on the stage and there was just this tone, this emotional tone to the room. It was very heavy in the air. And you could tell that we weren't going to rehearse, rehearse that night. Yeah. And we just had a meeting and came up with the idea that like, yeah, you know, maybe we can do the show in June, which obviously we didn't get to do. And then one of our set builders, who was the father of one of the guys in the cast died of COVID. Oh gosh. And so I it just, it, unfortunately we never got to do the show and I just feel awful about that because in his tribute I wanted to be able to actually put this on but the company announced that they were liquidating all their assets this past October and they're not gone for good but they are on a very hard pause oh, man. and so um so that having been my last play before COVID uh, the stuff I've been able to do since then has been really meaningful. I did much ado about nothing in May and I cried on opening night. Yeah. I, re I remember you, uh, you posting something about 
you know, being able to perform again. And I could, yeah. I could see it in your face that you were like, finally, thank God. Yeah, no, I, I legit, I, I, I wanted to share that. So I grabbed my phone with tears still drying on my face. It's like I cried during opening night. Um, but so I'm, I'm excited for the show tonight or tomorrow night rather. Um, and hoping that I can find some other stuff in the future, but know how much longer I'm going to be able to do community theater for a while. Cause my husband and I are trying to have a kid. And once that happens, I will definitely have uh, more complications around <laughs> making time for theater for at least a couple of years. So it's sort of like, okay, how much, how many shows can I get in before it's not feasible? That makes sense. Well, I hope you get to do a bunch in that time because yeah, I, I obviously you're super talented in it. You can Thank tell you. you can tell in your face too that you like absolutely love doing this. So I always love seeing that in people's faces when like I'm a musician, so I went to yeah. music school, I have a music degree. I can always see it like when I talk about music, I feel lighter and I see that yes. same thing when you talk about yeah. acting. So it's super cool. Oh, nice. And now if I recall correctly, we don't you do a little comedy too. Or am I completely um, forgetting this? So I've I've done one stand-up routine ever. Uh, okay. Did not go well. <laughs> I don't know why. Something in your videos that I, I, I've seen made me think that you did comedy stuff too. I, I, I do like my, my videos sometimes. I had a YouTube at one point where I did little skits and stuff. But uh, no, I, I, I haven't done a whole lot of comedy. Um, That's fair. I would, I would like to. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the pandemic, I was in Texas and Florida. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah. I, I didn't really want to go out places because, uh, you know, kind of free for all. Oh, sports. yeah. <clears throat> yep. But uh, no, I mean, before that, um, you know, I did live in California. I uh, lived in mm-hmm. L.A. Um, that was I was in music school then, though, so I didn't really have time to do right. anything besides that. And then uh, after that, I lived in Austin, not a huge comedy scene uh, mm-hmm. it's starting to come up now, but it's not great there. Yeah. And I've also lived in New Orleans, so it's also not a great comedy scene. But that's a good place for music. Great place for music. New Orleans, as much as I didn't like living there, I did love the music scene. Yeah. And I I hear the food is great, too. So, okay, here's my thing about New Orleans food. All right. What they do well, they do really well. Yeah. And then everything else is not very good there. <laughs> like if I'm just being honest. Um, That's valid. I feel like you can say that for a lot of places with varying degrees. Yeah. As well, though, because I feel like New England pub food is is very similar. Like you want to get seafood. It's going to be really, really good. Other stuff, you know, eh, it's fine. All right. You know, so. But uh, I, I have my best friend, they went to New Orleans. Their husband is a, a doctor and they had a conference. And I remember my friend was texting me like, these beignets are amazing. Yeah, I will say that the beignets, if you go to Cafe Du Monde, they're amazing. That's, I uh, think that's where they were. Yeah, the one that's like right in Jackson Square. It's what everyone goes to, but they are so good. You I have not had chocolate. the pleasure of visiting New Orleans myself yet. But it's, it's, it's definitely a place... It's go on our it list. Out. Yeah, go check it's, it out. It's a blast. But. It's very much on our list. The the one travel problem my husband and I have right now is we just went to Disney uh, and now we don't want to go anywhere else. Like we do want to go <laughs> other places, but we also don't want to go anywhere else except go back to Disney. Disney World or Disneyland? Disney World. Oh yeah, I live in Orlando, so I'm right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next time, next time we make a, a trip down, because we're definitely gonna go now more. Um I, I will probably have to let you know, but yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, he had a conference at um, Dolphin, no, at the Swan, at the Swan. He was staying at the Dolphin, but I think the conference was at the Swan, something like that. And so it was like, well, I have a conference on Disney property. We should probably do a Disney trip. <laughs> so I joined him after the conference was over and he got to build his lightsaber. Awesome. And he was so excited. I made him do my robes for it. Enough time to make myself <laughs> a costume. But uh, now the next thing is, you know, the um, in March, the Star Wars Hotel opens and it's oh, a complete okay. immersive experience. I'm, and, I'm excited, but I also I'm like, oh my god, my wallet, my wallet. Right, right. <laughs> That's the thing because, like, oh my god, I I want to go back. It was so wonderful, and there were so many things that in three days you just don't have the time to do. But at the same time, it's expensive, and I think in a lot of cases it is justifiably expensive, mm-hmm. but it's expensive, and. There are other places that I do want to visit. Um, you know, we, we didn't get to do our honeymoon because of COVID. And so we're still like, okay, when do we get to j- go to Japan? Which who knows now? Um, when, when did you get married? In January of 2020. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we were supposed to go to Japan that April and obviously that didn't happen. Lame. Lame. So we hung out in Somerville, Massachusetts instead. <laughs> <laughs> well we did buy a, we did buy a condo so congratulations on that as well thank you yeah we're really happy here yeah it seems like yeah you know, the wi-fi doesn't reach my office very well but whatever <laughs> it's fine i had to get an extender for my office because the first one i did was uh it was awful i had to turn off the yeah, yeah it's, I, it's always fun i'm working off an, of an extender right now and it's very hit or miss it like <laughs> stop working sometimes so we need to get a new extender. It's because we we play Dungeons and Dragons as well. Um, cool. And I don't know if you follow both my TikToks, but my other one is a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. I, d- I didn't know you had a second one. No. Oh, yes. Yeah. I have two TikToks. And if you haven't seen much of me lately, it's been because I've been focusing on the other <laughs> one, um, which is all about Dungeons and Dragons and being a nerd and sewing now. Apparently that's the content that took off. Uh, so that's critical stitch, critical underscore stitch, because I'm a nerd and I like critical role and all that. But, um, one, one of the big things my husband and I bonded over is he reintroduced me to Dungeons and Dragons, which I had sort of dabbled in in college, but it became our big thing. And my primary social circle is a bunch of other actors that we play Dungeons and Dragons with. And then these two guys, we happened to meet at a game store in Cambridge that joined our group, but then moved back to the Midwest. And so we have to use Discord to play with them now. You know, the pandemic was, besides the fact that we got to play every weekend, was Mm -hmm. the pandemic meant that we learned a lot of better ways to accommodate our friends who can't be in person. And so it's changed the style of how we play Dungeons and Dragons, even if we're, when we finally are back in person now. Can you uh, um, can you give me like a because I've never played Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons before. Um, the extent of my knowledge is like I have a few friends that played it, and then the yes. Big Bang Theory. So that's about it. So the quickest way I can describe it is it is collaborative storytelling with one leader who 
helps create the, who mainly creates the world you're existing in and any of the extraneous characters, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. And then you have the other players who each play usually one player, one character rather involved. So it's collaborative storytelling with a very sophisticated combat simulator. And you have polyhedral dice. So dice that are anywhere from four to 20 sides help to introduce a, an element of randomness to decide, you know, how effective any given thing might be. Hmm. Does that help? Does that explain it? A little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on trying yeah. with like the best way to describe it to people who have very little context. So, sort so, of so do you have to know anything going into a game of D&D or do you kind of make it up on the fly? You don't necessarily, especially if you're playing with people who are aware of that and willing to sort of help you along or you're all new and kind of just don't you know, you don't worry about screwing it up. The only way to screw up playing Dungeons and Dragons is to be the kind of jerk that's not fun to play with. And you what, know, what, what would it entail you being the kind of jerk that isn't fun to play with? Just like be disrespectful, disrespectful of the other people you're playing with. Um, you know, try to hog the limelight and uh, things like, um, uh, you know, don't don't hog the limelight and. Because uh, there's an element of role playing, obviously. Usually, um, don't be abusive to your friends, kind sure. of stuff. Um, if you're going to cheat, which you shouldn't, you're really only making it not for good, not fun for yourself. Um, so, like any any element of toxic interaction you can have with other people can happen at a Dungeons and Dragons table. Okay. So, if you're a jerk to other people. Especially, you know, no matter what role you're you're playing at the table, um, that's the only way to do it wrong is if you're being a jerk and people aren't having fun about because of it. Or if you're just mismatched with your table and you have different goals for how you want to play, because there's any number of different ways you can play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, people who say, well, the rules say this, so you're not allowed to do that. Or other people who are like, you know, well, yeah, the rules say that, but for this moment to facilitate the story beat, we're going to just go with it. So don't worry about that. Okay. Um, the toxic player might say, no, the rules say this. Um, things <laughs> like that. So so long as everyone is on the same page and has the same goals for how to facilitate their fun, just don't be a jerk. <laughs> I don't know. And how, how long does a game usually take? Oh gosh. Um, I'd say three hours is sort of like three hours plus. Okay. Is you're, you're not going to be able to really get an interesting game in, in under three hours. We've done games that are like two, but it feels very short and very lacking and people will play for like an entire afternoon, an entire day, um, things like that. So I think I've never really gone more than maybe four, four and a half hours that's usually you're toward the end of a storyline and you have a really intense battle. If you have more players, combat takes longer because everyone combat is slowed down to every round count uh, accommodates six seconds. And if you have eight play eight people like the dungeon master and any number of non-player characters, and then the seven players deciding what they do and dictating what they do, that takes time and a round of combat can take forever. 
um, and we play with a big group. So uh, there's there's a lot of things uh, where where that can take a while. Um, and then if you just have a lot of emotional stuff going on in the wrapping up the storyline, because a big part of it, especially for those of us who are actors who fall into this hobby, is the role playing and the collaborative storytelling element of it. Sure. Um, and this is why you have people like Critical Role and Dimension 20 and, um, you know, all sorts of groups that are getting together and doing, they're putting their games online for people to watch. And these, especially if the people involved started out as actors in their other life as well, mm-hmm. they come up with really compelling stories that are really interesting to watch. Not not to invite myself, but I would love to be in a game if you would have me. So I suppose I should probably plug the TikTok-inspired West yes. March server that I am now a part of. It's not done yet. Okay. It's not done yet. But there was a TikToker who threw the idea out there. I believe they're known as the Forever GM. They said, you know, hey everyone's always complaining that they don't have anybody to run games with, or they can't schedule games. You know, what would solve the problem of more people than, you know, of a bunch of people to be able to play games and facilitate more easily a West March game. And I do not have time to go into what a West March game is right now, <laughs> sure. but it's a style of dungeon of arranging Dungeons and Dragons. Um, uh, the short version being that you have a given world and you just run short form games within that world, but it's not always the same people. And I was one of the first people to say, yes, that's a brilliant idea. And someone else was like, here, I created a discord server and a handful of us got together and were like, this is a great idea. How do we make this happen? And I'm now one of the admin for it. Awesome. So we're in the process of building out the world and it's called the forgotten spire. Um, if you go to my D&D TikTok, Critical Stitch, a link tree has a link in that to okay. our Discord server. And uh, I don't know how soon we'll be able to get the official games off the ground, but there's, you know, it's definitely a gathering place that we're gaining steam and interest. And we are hoping that if we can actually get our acts together, that we'll be able to have content to play games. Um, We only have a handful of Dungeon Masters so far. We have a few people who are interested in playing and we have a little admin team that's trying to build the content for the world. Very cool. So we probably facilitate whether an official game from that or just pulling people from that to run a game. I could probably help you play a game, help get you into a game. That would be so awesome. I like I've always wanted to play. I've just never really known people oh, to I can, play. So I yeah, can make this happen. Be awesome. I, I have not been a dungeon master or game master for anything myself yet. Uh so I'm not sure that I would do that, but I can definitely help make this happen for you. Yes. I, I it is a lot of fun. I, I would absolutely love it. It sounds like a blast. I'm not gonna lie. Like I've I've always wanted to play. I've just never known like how to approach the subject. So I've always been very intrigued. I've just never known what the game's about or anything but yeah yeah well collaborative storytelling that's what it's about <laughs> friends telling stories in a fantasy world usually well we are we're at an hour believe it or not we are i know Th- this was a blast and i i hope we can have you on again at some point this is i'm sure fun. we can find time yeah 
Um, do you want to plug your your website, your social media, and it, let, sure. let everyone out there know about you? Yeah. So um, I do have two TikTok accounts, as aforementioned. Uh, Hannah.Burnett is my performing side of the internet and TikTok. Uh, that is Hannah, H-A-N-N-A dot Burnett, B-U-R-N-E-T-T. Uh, and that's where you can find out stuff about the performing I'm doing, especially any voice acting I get to do and things like that. Um, through there, you can find a link tree that will send you to other affiliated social medias and things and my website. Uh, and if you you know want to hire me for uh, voice acting or sightseeing tours of Boston, you can contact me through all that. And then if you're interested in just me as a nerdy person uh, talking about Dungeons and Dragons, sewing cats, the probability that I probably have ADHD and stuff like that, that would be critical stitch, uh, critical underscore stitch uh, on TikTok. And again, Linktree there will send you to other related socials from that. Awesome. Hannah? Yes. Thank you. Thank you so so much for coming on. Thank you, Kirby. I really mean it. And thank, <laughs> thank you, everyone. you. Yeah. And thank you everyone for listening.